This is Health Unabashed on Healthcare Now Radio, a show that spotlights promising health and wellness innovations enabling sustainability and equity for all stakeholders in the healthcare delivery and financing ecosystem. Hosted by digital health advocate, author, and thought leader Gil Bash, the show features the thought-provoking ideas, people, and companies that are making a difference. I'm Greg Masters, the producer and co-host of the show, and join Gil as we engage top industry talent who share their insights and best practices to drive the transformational imperative. On today's show, our guest is David B. Nash, MD, MBA, the founding dean emeritus and full-time faculty as the Dr. Raymond C. and Doris N. Grandin Professor of Health Policy at the Jefferson College of Population Health. We discuss his career trajectory and get a preview of his soon-to-be-released co-authored book, How COVID Crashed the System, A Guide to Fixing Healthcare. And with that introduction, Gil, over to you. Greg, I want to thank you for that gracious introduction and also to the gracious introduction to Dr. David Nash. It is a thrill to have the founding dean, Dean Emeritus, I believe, of Jefferson College of Population Health. And I've always wanted to speak with Dr. Nash, David, for for quite some time. David, I've followed your work. I've been in awe. Um, You're an iconic figure. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. Yeah, you're going (laughs) to live up to this. I, I trust you of that. But, but Greg was kind enough to, to bring us together. I also want to say to our listeners that Dr. Nash was recently on, um, on, on Pop Health Week with uh, Greg and Fred Goldstein. He is obviously an in-demand guest. We're thrilled to have him on the program. For those of you who are not familiar with Dr. Nash, I imagine that's less than a handful. He really is one of the founding thinkers and drivers of the population health discipline. He has been with um, the Jefferson, I believe, for some 30 years. 32, yes, sir. Sorry, I missed those two precious years. He is is, um, medically trained. He's an internist by training. He um, has a master's of business administration. He um, is from the Philadelphia area, but as he shared with me, as we were chatting before the program, cross town, to uh, to join the Jeff, I, I I hope that that folks at Penn don't feel uh, ill about that or or um, still feel like hey, hey the the Jeff stole you from us. Come on back. No, I, I think they're okay with it by now. Absolutely. Yeah. I want to explore with Dr. Nash today. First of all, a little bit about the genesis of his decision to shift from internal medicine into population health. So so David, I wanted to ask you. You know, there there was an inflection point in your career journey. You're, you're out of medical school, you've completed your residency, and then I don't know if it was to uh, disappoint your parents or what. You say, I'm not going to do that. I'm actually going to dedicate myself to um, the broader sense of public health, population health, um, health policy, and, and be a voice for the multitude. Can, was there an inflection point where you sort of said, Eureka, I'm going to change my direction. I'm yeah. going to be expansive. Yeah. Well, first of all, Gil, great to be here and uh, many thanks for the invitation. And yes, uh, uh, Greg and Fred are amazing helpers and partners and pals. So it's just really wonderful. And uh, boy, iconic. I'm glad my wife's not around today (laughs) because that would be the end of this this recording pretty pretty quickly. So uh, 
I did not have a eureka moment. I actually was, uh, in many respects, this is my career is revenge of the nerds. Uh, I was a pretty focused uh, high school kid who was interested in combining business and medicine. Uh, I was uh, really influenced by my my late father and by a mentor who I was very lucky to find uh, at University of Pennsylvania, who was world famous at that time, Samuel P. Martin, MD, the third. So I guess if I had to say what was the inflection point, it was, uh, so I did uh, undergraduate uh, medical school residency. I never had a gap year, never took a junior year abroad. We didn't do that sort of stuff. 45 years ago. Uh, But my, I guess, eureka moment, as close as you could call it to that, was as a house officer at the Graduate Hospital of the University of Pennsylvania, a rock and roll frontier in the middle of a tough neighborhood. Uh, We kept admitting and discharging the same patients. And I trained with my physician wife. We met at a medical school convention in New York City from two different schools. She, super smart, was the valedictorian of her med school class at Brown. And I met her at Mount Sinai at an AMSA, American Medical Student Association meeting, where they were talking about, ready for this, HMOs. And that was- Oh, my goodness. And that was this in must 19- have been, was it 1992 or something? Yeah, like well, that? try again, 1978. Oh, yep. my goodness. Yeah. So I was uh, visiting New York, representing University of Rochester Medical School, where I was a student, and she came from Brown. Anyway, be careful who you sit next to at a medical student convention. You never know what might happen. But uh We got married in medical school. We were pretty young by today's standards. We, I left Rochester for a year and was a Brown medical school student. And Brown at that time was sort of a hippie medical school. Uh, It was brand new. Uh, They were totally involved in advocacy and protests and very different from a blue button down collar, Rochester, very conservative, research-oriented medical school. So I went to two med schools, and then together we moved to Philadelphia. But here's the eureka moment. Uh, We're at the grad, as we called it back then. And Gil, we seem to just be doing the same thing to the same people over and over again. And I thought, this is like organized insanity. We treat the asthma and send them back to get the asthma again. And we'd treat the diabetes and the DKA, and they'd come back in a coma again. And we'd treat the heart disease. And I thought, I'm going to lose my mind. Something is not right. And so I was very fortunate to apply and get accepted to the Robert Wood Johnson Clinical Scholars Program, which back then was exclusively for doctors who wanted a different pathway. So the nexus of graduate hospital and the Robert Wood Johnson Clinical Scholars Program gave me the insight, the vocabulary, the opportunity, the amazing peer group to take two whole years to say, you know, basically, what the hell is going on here? 
And then to get the vocabulary and the training and the understanding to not only be able to describe what was going on, but hopefully to find a way to participate in the fix. So was it a eureka moment? It was three years of eureka moments as a internal medicine intern and resident. And I thought I was going to tear my hair out. And it was, you know, back then, okay to say, wow, what a great environment to train. We practiced on the poor, you know, and it was only years later that I understood, you know, God, we were, I was part of the whole structural racism story, you know, and we practiced on the poor. We did the best we could. We were well supervised. I have to say that. And I got great training, but there is no question that we were practicing on the poor and the disadvantaged uh, in Philadelphia, which is so sad because one quarter of our population in this great city lives in poverty. None of that was evident to me. I, you know, I, can't, I grew up in a middle to upper middle class background, fortunate enough to go to a great med school. Uh, you know, so this was all eye opening. No, I think I'm thinking of your experience. First of all, I want to acknowledge you, the, the boldness of, of recognizing that um, somewhat unintentionally, somewhat intentionally, we created a system based on systematic racism. Totally. And, and, and we, we fell into the behavior pattern. And I, I think not just of the people you were treating in, in, in their cities that, that were dealing with a diabetes, that were dealing with heart disease, that were dealing with undiagnosed cancers that, that, that appear as very evident, that we're dealing with respiratory disease and, and, and so forth. But also I think of our VA system at that time, which was a great place to train. Why? You no know, veterans had all sorts of concomitant illnesses. And as a, as a young internist, boy, you could get a huge amount of hands-on experience. But you were asking, unlike your colleagues, why? Why is this happening again and again and again? I'm kind of concerned because I, I wanted to get your point of view. I think we're still facing this today. Oh, well, no question we are, of course. How do we but... shift from this mindset and, and take what you've learned? So I, I was wondering if you could connect that early stage of your sort of genesis of, of self-awareness as a clinician and, and pop over to uh, where we are today, where you are today, your observations. Yes. Well, thanks. Well, sadly, we didn't have the vocabulary. I certainly did not have the vocabulary in 1984 when I finished residency to really explain what we had been through. Um, and I came of age in the era of the House of God by Samuel Shem. And we were excited about, uh, you know, the vocabulary, the secret handshake. We were part of a fraternity and sorority that only hardworking, smart kids could be a part of. And I was uh, damn proud to be a part of it. I, I never gave it a second's thought. Uh, only later did I sort of have in reflection, like, whoa, wait a minute, you know, doing those central lines and blood gases and venipunctures and spinal taps and all of that. Uh, and we did our best, as best as we could, and we were supervised at least, but 
I was an intern when Libby Zion died in New York City. Uh, and you best believe we all took a deep breath to say, wait a minute, that could have been me writing that prescription for the drug-drug interaction that killed her. Uh, and this, of course, our listeners have to appreciate, Gil, no internet, no cell phone. How the hell did you get that information? You'd have to go into the library and photocopy the article. And my doctor wife and I carried around articles on our clipboard. I mean, it sounds like the Civil War. No, I remember a fellow Philadelphia um, sort of like resident, uh, uh, C. Everett Koop, the, the iconic, he's also iconic Surgeon General, Chick Koop, once said to me, Gil, if a doctor were to read one key article about their discipline each night before they went to sleep, within one year, they'd be 10 years behind in their reading. Right. So it... It was totally impossible to keep up. Anyway, I think what going to Wharton was transformative. That, that there's no question. Whether it was Eureka or not, it's a different question, but it definitely was transformative because it validated what I had seen and gave me the economic, sociologic, political teaching to make sense of it all and prepare graduates of the Clinical Scholars Program to become academic leaders. I mean, it was no secret that getting into the Clinical Scholars Program is super competitive national thing. There are only five programs, fewer than 30 people in it every year, thousands of people wanted to do this, and Sam Martin helped me to achieve that goal. Um, once you were in that pretty elite group, you were on a track to become part of academic medicine. It was the ticket to punch that got you in the uh, at the head of the line. And I was okay with that. Uh, I figured, great, um, the opportunity to go to Wharton on a full academic scholarship and get a salary and still see patients and do research, bring it on. In addition, I got to Penn Medicine at the very beginning of the movement led by the late John Eisenberg and, and Sankey Williams and Sandy Schwartz and Mark Pauly. I mean, these guys, some of them no longer around. They were, of course, gods. They were they, gods of the discipline. They were the gods. And I looked up to them. They were incredible role models. And everybody was knocking on their door and our door to you know, explain healthcare. And then in 1989, I got a phone call. So I finished the clinical scholars program in 1986. I joined the Penn Medicine faculty. I was teaching at Wharton, seeing patients, doing everything. And then I got a fateful phone call, of course, no email, in 1989 from Joseph Ganella, still alive, at that time, the longest serving medical school dean in America at Jefferson Medical College, 20 blocks from my office at Penn Medicine. And in his amazing, special, thick Italian accent said, uh, come, I need to meet you. Come and have lunch with me. And I'm like, uh, uh, okay. Uh, and basically, I'll shorten the story, you know, Joe was from another era, all done eyeball to eyeball, handshake, no letters. And he wanted a young, naive, ambitious, 
doctor who had been to business school to join his faculty. So believe it or not, when I left Jefferson in January, uh, when I left Penn in January of 1990 and moved into my office at Jefferson, I was the only physician faculty member who had been to business school. Now, today, that's like a big deal. I mean, lots of doctors have been to business school, of course. It's still a bit, it's still a bit new. Uh, it's not common. But we're talking 32 years ago. And, and so Joe wanted me to come across the city, join the faculty as an assistant professor of medicine, which I did. And my first job was the director of the Office of Health Policy, something they created for me. And I had a dual reporting relationship to the hospital president, not a doctor, and to the dean. And my job was like basically figure it out. Help us to understand why this costs so damn much and where is healthcare going? Oh, and by the way, prepare the medical school for Hillary care. Remember that? And so my job was basically like an internal agitator, educator, you know, sky is falling, chicken little, whatever, all of the above. And if you're just tuning in, you're listening to Health Unabashed on Healthcare Now Radio. Our guest is David B. Nash, MD, MBA, the founding dean emeritus, and full-time faculty as the Dr. Raymond C. and Doris N. Grandin Professor of Health Policy at the Jefferson College of Population Health. I, I was thinking when you were sort of laying out and when you said sort of like a young, ambitious, you know, that was sort of all this, I was thinking of open-minded, committed. You were using young, ambitious. I was thinking of like new new. That's what I said in the interview, you know. <laughs> <laughs> See, I, but, I, I have all the right answers for you, but I was just curious because I was definitely thinking about uh, Hillary and when she... She brought together her 500 experts behind closed doors. That's uh, you right. Know, maybe you were in the room. Maybe you weren't. Um, but my classmates were. Let's just take a moment. So yep. Risa Leviso Moray, who went on to become the president of the Robert Wood Johnson Foundation, was my Wharton and clinical scholar classmate who became Hillary's personal health care advisor. And, and and had a great career and now is a famous pen professor. But, you know, we're talking 30 plus years ago, uh, she was explaining to the first lady how healthcare works. And I had gone to school with her along with. You were there as the book was being written. I understand now you've written a book. You've um, and I I want to I want to spend some time on the book. I hope you don't mind. I could spend hours talking about you because you've got an incredible life and people really need to explore the incredible adventure and life of Dr. David Nash, aside from his sense of ambition or serendipity of, of meeting his wife at a, a, a medical school gathering at Mount Sinai, great school of, um, of Valentin Fuster, um, all of that. But I, I was, I was just curious, could you talk about the book? Because I think people, this is a book that I think people want to make sure that they have, that they're reading. Sure. Before we get to the book, I just do want to tell one story because it is a great, all my life's a circle, Harry Chapin song. 
So I met Esther at Mount Sinai in October of 1978. We got married in September of 1980. So here we are 42 years later, still at it, which is awesome. But the great story is years, decades after we got married, I got invited to give the opening plenary address at the AMSA annual meeting in Washington, D.C., and I said, okay, I'll do it. Great. I'm very honored. Under one condition, I can bring all three of my uh, grown children to the meeting and they have to sit in the front row. And I did get to tell the story to all these medical students in the audience saying, be careful who you sit next to at this convention. This is what could happen to you. And it was really a great moment. But back, back to the book. Okay. Back to the book. So yeah, you, you probably have another book in you, but I want to hear about this book right now. Uh, this book is was my labor of love with my amazing co-author, Charles Wolfworth, a award-winning science writer. And the short story, Gil, is uh, I, I met Charles in November of 2019 at a medical conference in New York City. Seemed like a nice guy. We exchanged business cards and uh, he gave me one of his books to read, which was really quite great about space exploration. And uh, we kept up a correspondence and I, I didn't really think it would ever result in a book together. But in uh, July, really early summer of 20. So we had, you know, March, April, May, June, four months into the pandemic, everybody's home. And I got a email from Charles and the short story here was he said, you need to write a book about what is going on and I will help you, but you're in the center of this storm. People need to hear you and your voice and I will help you make that happen. Uh, and my immediate reaction was, oh man, I don't know if I have it in me and I have edited 20 plus books and written one mass market book more than 10 or 15 years before. But I thought, well, okay, how do we do this? So we hired an agent, we wrote a sample chapter, we shopped it, the agent found us a publisher. And then the way we made this, how COVID crashed the system, my idea was here's, here's the issue, healthcare, is an airplane that crashes and kills everybody on board. And we're the NTSB investigators searching the burning rubble of the crash to find the black box, except we know what's in the damn box. And what's in that box are all the failures of our health system to promote health and to provide for primary care and to reduce inequities and to reduce error. And we then had an obligation to come up with a way to fix the airplane and get it back in the air. Yeah, we, we don't have a healthcare system. I mean, we do, but it's really a sick care system. And, and you know, I, the, what I was thinking of when I was looking forward to this conversation is, you're really the, perhaps the originator of value-based care. You're thinking, you're writing, that, that, that we are kind of stuck in the swamp of fee-for-service care, which 
focuses on the doing to people as opposed to the preventing the sense of illness entering our our homes in the first place. Um, first of all, um, the, the, tell us the title of the book um, and and and. And 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 how do how and when do we get this book? And you've written, I mean, you're, you're, you have a bestseller, Population Health. You've got a ton of bestsellers um, on Amazon. Tell us about this book. How do we get our hands on it? And, well, this book, and- I hope, will be on lots of persons' bedside tables, unlike the textbooks and everything else that I've had the privilege of being a part of. So the book is called How COVID Crashed the System, a guide to fixing American healthcare. So half the book is here's what the hell happened. And the second half is here's what we recommend how we might fix it. So the analogy, Gil, it's the 737 MAX that crashes and terribly kills all aboard. Boeing is at fault. Everybody reads the, the book about what went on in Boeing, all the duplicity, the horribleness, And so it's a pretty good analogy. And but the second half of the book is how do we fix this mess and look optimistically at the future? And we it's available. It'll be out in late October. Amazon's saying October, but October. We We hope it'll be earlier. Get it from you September. Yes, I I just want to say. I I want to say to our listeners, first of all, you can pre-order this book right now on Amazon. And as as David mentioned, it's it's called "How COVID Crashed the System: A Guide to Fixing American Healthcare," Um, and um, it has an incredible review and write-up on um, on Amazon already. Um, They say, "Let's hope that they're." They're um, they're sandbagging the date of availability. They're saying October fifteenth. I'm I'm hoping we can get our hands on this book a little earlier. Um, it better be earlier, or I'm going to go to the warehouse myself, Gil, to go get well, the copies. <laughs> I I I, I want to just say, as as many people know, I do I do book reviews on a, on a separate platform. Um, David, I'm looking forward to getting this book, reviewing this book. Um, uh, perhaps interviewing you again for a review on this book. This is a very important book, listeners. And, and the reason is, is you're speaking to someone who has historical perspective about the evolution of the of the modern post-World War II American health system from the genesis of great innovation that chart, started to change the face of healthcare, the, the, the rise of community-based healthcare connected to academic medical systems, the advent of telemedicine, um, all of this, the rise of generic medicine, um, affordable care, and yet, and yet, our system, as Dr. Nash, David mentions, I just want to read a piece of a review to whet the listener's appetite, why America's healthcare system failed so tragically during the COVID pandemic, and how the forces unleashed by the crisis could be just the medicine for its long-term cure. Dr. Nash, David, what a thrill to have you with us today. Greg, my friend, thank you for, for making this possible. I know you and Dr. Nash have a longstanding relationship, and I'm hoping to keep this relationship going. Congratulations on the new book. A thrill to have you on the program. Many thanks, Gil. Great to be together. And that is a wrap for today's broadcast. We want to thank our listeners for tuning in and our special guests, David B. Nash, MD, MBA. 
founding dean emeritus and full-time faculty at the Jefferson College of Population Health. Do follow Dr. Nash's work at Jefferson via at Nash Pop Health and at Jefferson JCPH on Twitter. You can learn more about Health Unabashed on the program page at healthcarenowradio.com. We air weekdays at 10.30 a.m., 6.30 p.m., and 2.30 a.m. Eastern or 7.30 a.m., 3.30 p.m., and 11.30 p.m. Pacific. Do keep the conversation going with Gil and me on Twitter by connecting with us via at Gil underscore Bash, and that's B-A-S-H-E, and at Greg Masters M-P-H, and that's Greg with two Gs, and do remember to tag your tweets with hashtag healthunabashed. Until next time, stay unapologetically passionate about improving health. <laughs>